Okay, thank you, James, son of Alan. <laughs> I'm Mike, son of David, and uh, we are going to look at that passage that was so brilliantly just read for us. Uh, we're going we're gonna to do that in just a sec, but I want to open up by just asking, is anybody here into genealogies? You know, like anybody here kind of into their family tree? Put up your hand if you have ever kind of put any length of time into researching your own family line. Okay, some... Not many, but some. Uh, here's mine. Now, you can't read it. It's, kind of, it's too small for you to read. Uh, but what it reveals, this family line, among other things, is this. That my great, 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 great grandfather, John Munns, he was convicted of larceny and he was sentenced to transportation for life and arrived here in Australia as a convict, convict aged 21 in 1826. So... I haven't been to prison like Dave Demiz, but uh, I've been to prison to, to, to visit uh, com- convicts, inmates, as a lawyer, but I haven't served time in prison, yet I am uh, from convict blood. So there you go. It's interesting, you know, what you can discover from a family tree if you're prepared to dig. Now, genealogies in the Bible are no different. You know, the genealogies are scattered throughout the Bible, and yet... Don't we, I mean, I do and I'm sure, I'm very confident most of you do, don't we often just kind of skim over them as we read? Like, as, if, as if suddenly when we get to the genealogy we turn into great speed readers and then we miss kind of, we really miss what's actually there. Now my little boy Luke, he's my only son and when he grows up, he tells me when he grows up he wants to be an archaeologist and a minister because you see he is really into Indiana Jones and he's also really into Jesus. And he kind of likes his dad as well. Now, I reckon as Bible readers, we need to be more like archaeologists. Because, you see, archaeologists, they cannot be in a great hurry. You know, they've got to take their time and they've just got to carefully dig. You see, I reckon if we read the Bible like that, there's all kinds of treasures to be found if we just read our Bibles like that even in the genealogies. Now remember 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture, which Scriptures? All Scriptures God breathed and useful. So that said, let's get digging. Today's Scriptures, we're looking at the baptism of Jesus, the genealogy of Jesus, and there is treasure to be found. First, the baptism of Jesus from verse 21, I think it's page 1016. So it'd be great to have your Bibles open as we look at this together. I'm going to read from verse 21. When all the people were being baptised, Jesus was baptised too. And as he was praying, heaven was open and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove and a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Now, this really is a massive, massive event, all right, in history. It's huge. But since Luke only gives it two short verses, what have we got to do? We've got to slow down. Okay, we've got to slow down and we've got to dig a little bit. Verse 21, when all the people were being baptised, Jesus was being baptised, well, Jesus was baptised too. Now, this kind of sounds like this, this passing kind of, it sounds like Jesus is just another face in the crowd, doesn't it? And in fact, to those who were, who were around at the time, he probably was at that point. You know, Jesus is just Joseph's son. 
He's a carpenter from Nazareth and he's just doing what heaps of other people are doing. He's getting baptised. But you see, this is no ordinary person because by a physical sign, heaven opening and the Holy Spirit descending on Jesus and then by an audible voice from heaven where God says, you are my son, God shows very clearly that this guy is not just another face in the crowd, that this guy is unique, that this guy is God's only son. Now here's the thing though, this phrase wasn't completely new. I mean back in Exodus 4, the Lord said to Moses, when you return to Egypt, say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son. Let my son go so that he may worship me. And so Israel as a nation back then was called the son of God. And even later in our genealogy here in Luke 3, Adam's called the son of God. But you see, Jesus' sonship is unique. It is very different because Jesus is the only son of God who actually is God. Jesus is the only Son of God who actually is God. I mean, John's Gospel highlights Jesus' divinity again and again. John 3.16, one of the best-known verses in the Bible, says, Jesus is God's only begotten Son. In our Nicene Creed, a great Christian creed that we often declare together at 8 o'clock church, based on Scripture we declare we believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, eternally begotten of the Father, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. See, in following Jesus together, this is very important, in following Jesus together, we've got to get this right. We have to get this right. Because it's absolutely foundational to the Christian faith that we are following the right Jesus, the real Jesus, the biblical Jesus of history, not some false kind of version of him. You see, while the Bible's very, very clear that there is only one true God, God has revealed himself in Scripture to be one God, one God in three persons. And so we worship one God in Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. Where the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. Where the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, they are not just three different aspects of God, but they are three distinct persons or members of the Holy Trinity. Okay? The Son isn't the Father, the Spirit isn't the Son, the Father isn't the Spirit. They are distinct and yet they are not separate beings. They are one, one of one and the same being. Because God is one God in three persons. Now, in various places, the New Testament explicitly brings together the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. It brings them together explicitly to show how they're related. Okay, in a way that both unites them with one another and distinguishes them from all others. And we see this here in Luke 3 where Jesus is baptised. The Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus like a dove And the Father speaks, declaring to Jesus, You are my Son. The Jesus who is unique, 
Okay, this Jesus who is divine, fully God, the Son of God. It's very important that we get that right. But you see, as good archaeologists, though, we've got to keep digging. We've just got to keep digging because as the baptism and the genealogy also highlights for us, Jesus is not only fully God, Jesus is also fully man. Okay, now, he's not 50-50. He's not 50% God, 50% man. He's actually 100, 100. He's 100% God. He's 100% man. So back to his, back to his baptism. Now, just before we're, we're, uh, where Wellesley started reading today, we're told in chapter 3, back at verse 3, Luke's just told us that John, he went into all the country around the Jordan preaching a, repent- a baptism preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Okay, so why is it that people are getting baptised? Well, they're repenting. They're turning away from sin. They're seeking God's forgiveness. And baptism is like a symbol of them being washed clean. And so the question then is, why, why does Jesus step into that water? Why? He doesn't need to repent. He doesn't need forgiveness. He doesn't need to be washed clean. He's already clean. He's without sin. You know, the Bible tells us that very clearly. So why would Jesus choose to be baptised? Well, here we have the God-man, all right? The God-man, fully God, fully man, identifying himself with man. Okay, with mankind, with the people that he came to save, with the people who were being baptised, the people who were turning from sin and trusting in Jesus. You see what's happening? So right here at Jesus' baptism, there's two very big things that we're meant to see about him. Who he is, the divine son of God, God the son who's fully, fully God. And we're also meant to see in a way, at least partly, what he's come to do. And that is he's come to identify with us as a man, fully man and ultimately to save us from ourselves, from our sin. Okay, let's keep digging. Because you see, the next text, the genealogy, which James read beautifully, it's actually there, that text is actually there for a reason. Now, what is, what is Jesus' genealogy? What does his family tree emphasise about him? It emphasises his humanity. It emphasises his humanity. I mean, Jesus' earthly ancestors, they're all just people, okay? Some of them, as you go through the list, some of them nobodies, some of them well-known, but not always known for being godly or righteous, sometimes just the opposite, actually, you know, a little bit like my family tree. But the fact that Jesus had human ancestors like these, it highlights a couple of things for us. Firstly, it highlights the reason Jesus came in the first place. Why did he come? To save, to rescue imperfect people like those in his family tree. And also highlights for us the faithfulness of God. The faithfulness of God to work out his good purposes from one flawed generation to the next. And you know, this, this is great stuff. It really is. As a dad of five children, I am personally super encouraged by this you know this helps me to remember that my most important job 
my most important job in life, it's not really here at St Matthew's. My most important job's at home, my family. It's my most important job. You see, sometimes the, most, the biggest contribution you can make is not what you've done, but the legacy and the lineage of faith that can come through your family line. And I mean, you know, if we Googled everyone in this room, we put all your names into Google, some of us had come up, some of us wouldn't. But you know what? Luke 3, in a way, is just like that. Half the people in this genealogy we know nothing about, except the fact that they're in this list, except that God used these lesser-known people and, they, and he used them to raise up better-known people to further his own kingdom purposes. And you see, this is really important. It's in our band of brothers, our men's small groups that meet up here, in my own men's small group, I really try to keep this vision before the guys, you know, that we need to see beyond just the daily kind of grind of here and now and we need to think and we need to pray generationally as we pastor and disciple our own kids with legacy and lineage in mind. Because you see, some people, some people think kids are just a distraction from their own ministry, from their own achievements. They think kids are only going to slow them down and get in the way of them doing more for Jesus. But you know what? You know what? If you love Jesus... If you love Jesus and you get married and your spouse loves Jesus, then together as a team, you can serve Jesus. You get a lot more done, potentially, in Jesus' name. And you know what? If you have kids and you raise your kids to love and serve Jesus and they have kids who love and serve Jesus, who in turn have other kids who love and serve Jesus, guess what? You could end up with thousands of descendants who love and serve Jesus. You know, you may not be the senior pastor of a massive church here and now, but guess what? Through your family line could come a mega church. You know, a huge mega church that by God's grace you helped to found. A a legacy, you see, a lineage through whom God could get a whole lot more done in Jesus' name. So let's think and pray generationally. God will use you whether your current ministry lights up a Google search or not. Now, before we dig into this genealogy, there is, a, there is a nagging question that has to be answered. You may not know what it is, but I'm going to point it out and it has to get answered. The question is, why is Luke's genealogy of Jesus so different to Matthew's? Okay, Because the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew's Gospel differs in a few ways from, uh, from Luke's, but the biggest difference is this, and I've I've tried to put this down in a very, very simple kind of way for you to see something. You see, while some of the names in these genealogies are the same, for example, they agree between David and Abraham, many names in their genealogies are different. And you can see that in the blue that I've put in blue. For example, Matthew has Jacob as the father of Joseph, whereas Luke has Heli. And then, from there down, the names from Joseph all the way back to David in the two genealogies are almost all different. Why? Why? Answer, we don't actually know for sure 
but there's lots of suggested reasons. There's lots of suggested solutions and I'm just going to give you what I think is the best. And that is that Matthew actually gives us Joseph's line. Okay, Matthew gives Joseph's line as Jesus' legal, earthly, adoptive father. Matthew. Whereas Luke gives us Mary's line as Jesus' biological mother. Now, yes, you know, genealogies are generally constructed patriarchally through, through a male line. But you see, if Mary had no brothers, so if Mary had no brothers, then her father, in accordance with tradition, when she married Joseph, okay, her father would make Joseph his legal heir and son. And that may be what's happening here in verse 23b when it says, Jesus was the son, so it was thought, it says that in the text, so it was thought of Joseph, son of Heli. So it was thought, okay, because Jesus is really the biological son of who? Mary, not Joseph. Heli actually being Mary's father, Joseph's father-in-law. Now, you know, some of you may have, that, might, that may have been clear. I'm not going to be able to slow down any more on that. But can you see how it helps? Can you see how this kind of thing helps to dig? Once when I was a student minister at a previous church, there was a prominent member of, of the church and he was, he was a very well-respected man, a professor, a spinal surgeon, and he asked me this really good question. He kind of pinned me with this question and I wonder how you would answer it. Here it is. It's kind of like this. Okay, the Christ is meant to be of the line of David. But if only Joseph, Jesus' adoptive father, is of that line, then even according to the Bible, Joseph is, Jesus is not Joseph's biological son, like of his biological line. He's only of Mary's biological line, okay? Since she conceived him miraculously as a virgin. So the question is, how can Jesus be the Christ? And, you know, at the time, I hadn't really done any serious digging into Jesus' genealogies and, and so for me it was like, whoa, that is a really, really good question. And uh, I was kind of a bit stumped. But what I want to point out, I'm not stumped anymore, <laughs> what I want to point out is, see why it's so important that we need to slow down and dig you know, be more like archaeologists than sprinters or speed readers. Because, you see, there are answers. The Bible gives us answers. There are answers to be found. We've just got to be prepared to look. Okay? So an answer to this question that I was stumped with is that Jesus is of the direct line of David. Okay? He is. Because, you see, Mary's biological line also traces directly back to David. Mary and Joseph's lines actually intersect this is really cool. Like in God's sovereignty, Mary and Joseph's lines, they intersect where? At David. How cool is that? I reckon it's really, really cool. Now, be that as it may, here's what I think is the main point of the genealogy. Here's the main point. That God, God made covenant promises to an undeserving people, okay? And God was faithful to those promises from generation to generation to generation, not because his people were good, because they weren't, but because God is good. 
That, I think, is the main point of this, gene- of this genealogy. And, you know, even the big names in this genealogy, even the names in this genealogy who's ni- who's, who would light up a Google search, even they highlight this point big time. And I'm just going to hit on a few of these names. So, firstly, at verse 31, you might have heard of him, a guy called David. Now, David, you know, he's a little shepherd boy. He's, he's, a, he's a nobody. He's from nowhere. And only by the grace of God does David become the king of Israel. And to whom David, to whom him? Despite, despite David's like colossal personal failures, God still makes David these massive promises in about 1000 BC. Because you see in 2 Samuel 7, God promises David that one of his descendants is going to sit on an eternal throne. And as we see in the genealogy of Jesus, Jesus comes from the line of David, whether you go through Joseph or Mary, it doesn't matter. And so Jesus fulfills God's promise to send his forever king, the Christ. Next, skip down to verse 34 to another guy you may have heard of, Abraham. Another nobody, okay, nobody who only by the grace of God becomes a somebody. He becomes famous, a famous patriarch to whom God makes these massive promises back in about 2000 BC. Because in Genesis 12, God promised to bless Abraham, to give him a land, to give him many descendants who would become a great nation and that all peoples, all peoples on earth would be blessed through him. Again, Again, despite Abraham's own personal failures, he simply trusted God's good promises. And so even in his old age, his family line did come to be. And as the genealogy of Jesus shows, Jesus came from the line of Abraham. And so he fulfills God's promise that through Abraham's seed, which was singular, one of Abraham's descendants, through one of his descendants, all nations would be blessed, which has in fact happened through Jesus, a descendant of Abraham. Now I'm going to finish, lastly, with one last name down at verse 38, another name you might have heard of, a guy called Adam. Okay, the original human son of God, created by God on the sixth day, Okay, not eternally begotten like Jesus. Okay, Adam's not eternally begotten of the Father like Jesus. But Adam's still unique in creation in that he's made in the image of God. Now, in declaring Jesus to be a son of Adam, what Luke's saying, you see, Matthew's genealogy only goes back to Abraham. Matthew's writing to a Jewish audience. And their main concern would be, you know, his connection to Abraham. So Matthew only goes back to Abraham. Luke goes all the way back to Adam, to God. And so in in, in declaring Jesus to be a son of Adam, Luke's saying this, that Jesus is not just Jewish. You know, he's not just a descendant of Abraham. Jesus is a man, a descendant of Adam, just like you and I and the rest of humanity. He's declaring Jesus to be human, not a sinner, but a human being like Adam was initially without sin. And so as part of this genealogy, as part of this genealogy, Jesus identifies 
He identifies with the human sonship and with the line of Adam. You get it? He identifies with the line of Adam, just like he was doing at his baptism. Why? Why? So that he can redeem the line of Adam, so that he can redeem people by offering his own perfect human life on the altar of God's judgment in place of our imperfect human lives so that we can be spared God's judgment. That's why he came. That's why he identifies with us, to save us, to redeem us. Because you see, Jesus, the Son of God, God the Son, he became a son of Adam so that we, sons of Adam and daughters of Adam, might too become sons and daughters of God. And you know, at the end of the day, now I know this is, stay with me just a little bit longer, but at the end of the day, there really are only two families. At the end of the day, ultimately, there is only two family trees. 1 Corinthians tells us that there's the first man, Adam, and there's Jesus, the last Adam. And you see, we're all, all of us, are in one family tree or the other. It's true of every human. We're in one family tree or the other. There's only really two. Sure, yeah, we've got, na- we got races and nations, we've got cultures, we've got religions, but ultimately there's really only two categories of human beings. Those who are in Adam and those who are in Christ. Now, if you want to, I don't have time to unpack this, if you want to look at Romans 5, 12 to 21, you can. But you see, where Adam failed... Jesus triumphed. Where Adam was disobedient, Jesus was perfectly obedient. You know, in Adam we're all made sinners. In Jesus we're forgiven. We're made righteous. In Adam there's condemnation. In Jesus there is salvation. In Adam there is death. In Jesus there is eternal life. Eternal life. And so the all-important question is this, is how then can we be in Jesus? How can we be part of his family tree? Because that's the most important thing about our existence. Answer, how can we be in Jesus? Answer, it's really simple. We need simply to admit that like Adam, you know, as his sons and daughters, we're sinners. That's the first thing then we need simply to accept, like Abraham, the grace of God by trusting in God's good promises. And then we need simply to receive, like David, the promised Messiah, Christ Jesus, as our Saviour and as our King. Because you see, it is only then, it is only then that although we're all born physically in the line of Adam, some of us, those who've done this, simply trusted in God, received him, admitted our sins, accepted his grace and forgiveness, it's only those that are then born again spiritually in the line of Jesus. And it's only then, you see, that you know, our names will be then added to that family tree of Jesus, to the book of life, to the book of life. You know, so that both now and then upon our death, Jesus' family tree, it won't look like just a boring list of names that we just kind of skim over like we're sprinting through. No, no. It'll be your family, you know. It'll be your family and your name will be among that list. You know, you should, is anyone else excited about this? 
You know, make some noise if you're a little bit excited about this genealogy. No. <laughs> Laugh at least, do something. This is great stuff. We need to be like archaeologists, you know. We need to slow down. We need to carefully dig because God has got all kinds of treasure for us to find. And the, invita- the invitation today is this. You know, if you're not a Christian, if you're not yet a Christian, then now really is the time, now, to admit your sin, to accept God's grace, his free, undeserved gift, and to receive Jesus as your saviour and as your king. And then your name will be added to his family tree as a child, as a son or daughter of God. That's the invitation because you see your name, it's in one family tree or the other. And when you die, when you stand before God, which is it going to be? Let's pray together.